Good day and welcome to Muskegon History and Beyond with the Lakeshore Museum Center. My name is Pat Horn and with me today is Aaron Schmitz, the programming manager of the Hackley and Hume Historic Site. And we are on location today in the Hackley House. So Aaron, can you tell everyone where we are first of all? Sure, we are at the Hackley and Hume Historic Site inside the Hackley House in the second parlor. Now what exactly would be a second parlor for people at home? So the first parlor and the second parlor, um, they're kind of like our living spaces that we know them today. So your first parlor is really more like your um, more formal living room, and that would be used for parties or special occasions. And then the second parlor is really more used for everyday relaxation. So listening to music, reading books, um, sitting by the fire, um, those kind of evening activities to unwind for the day. And what kind of things would the Hackleys use for, I see a few things around here that they might use to relax, like a music box, what else would they do on their kind of relaxation time? You know, they might just sit back for some evening tea. This is kind of pre-radio, so the music box would be a really great way to kind of unwind. The music box we have here is original to the family and it plays 12 songs, but it's before, you know, recording of voices or instruments. So it's kind of just the, the tinking of the, the music box, but having a 12 song music box is uh, pretty unusual. Uh, you'd have to have quite a bit of money to be able to afford one of this size. Which the Hackleys definitely did. So today we're going to kind of focus on the sites as a whole, the Hackley House and the Hume House, and kind of talk about how they came about and what they represent, and as well as a bit about the families too. So Aaron, let's go back to the beginning here and talk about the actual site so who purchased the land for these two houses? Was it something that Hackley and Hume purchased separately or was it a joint venture? Well, it was kind of both. This was the 75 block in Muskegon and the land that we're on now, the Hackley and Hume historic site was owned by Alexander Rogers. And then in 1887, February 23rd, Charles Hackley purchased three city lots. So lot seven, lot eight, and lot nine. And he purchased all three of the lots for $4,000. Then Thomas Hume purchased lot nine and half of lot eight from Charles Hackley on November 5th, 1887 for $1,400. So less than half Thomas Hume purchased um, half of the land from Charles Hackley. Uh, the shared lot, so half of that eight, belonged to Hackley and then the other half belonged to Hume and that's what the shared carriage house or what we know as the city barn is today. So it was kind of a somewhat of a business deal by Hackley but it was also kind of making a deal for his friend to purchase the other lot and a half, right? Right, exactly. So only charging him $1,400 instead of $2,000. It definitely wasn't even an equal down the middle, even though the property was equally down the middle. So he did cut him a deal. And do we know, was this something that Hackley and Hume were both planning to do? Were they wanting to be neighbors this close next to each other? Was this something they thought of ahead of time or was kind of like, oh, this is a good idea? We don't have any evidence about where that idea started from. Uh, we do know that they were neighbors. In 1879, we know that they were neighbors on 8th and Webster Avenue. And then in 1883, Hume moved to 6th and Webster, which is we know as the Sibley House today. And then in 1889, they ended up moving on the lot together. So we don't know what spurred that, except that they were neighbors and it must have worked out well when they were neighbors prior to moving into this site. I suppose it makes it easier having your business partner right there just to walk next door and discuss any news or business deals you have going on. Yeah, it probably was a really great setup. 
Now, a lot of other lumber barons from the Muskegon area would move to Chicago and run their business from there. Why did Charles Hackley and Thomas Hume decide to stay here in Muskegon? Well, we're not 100% sure, but there were some other things going on during this time period. Andrew Carnegie, he wrote the Gospel of Wealth in 1889, and we believe that might have influenced how Charles Hackley ran his philanthropy and kind of his personal life and staying in his community. He invested a lot in the community. Both of them actually did. They were on a lot of the boards that they worked together. Um, they created incentives for businesses to locate to Muskegon. It seemed that they really cared about the community and kind of growing the community. Also, when lumbering was starting to die out, um, a lot of those lumber barons and wealthier people were taking off to out west to do the same types of businesses. And um, Charles Hackley and Thomas Hume, they also stayed during that point too. And that's really helped create a really great environment here in Muskegon and also prevented this city from being a ghost town because without the lumber, the sawmill workers and all of that, the city would have probably not done so well. So they really became vested in this community and they really felt ownership of Muskegon, I guess you could say. Right. And so Carnegie kind of talked about that in his Gospel of Wealth about giving while you're still alive, not just leaving an inheritance after you're dead. But that also allowed Hackley and Hume to not only invest in the community, but also help make those decisions about how it would end up, what the hospital would be like, what the library would be like. They were able to kind of put their own mission and their own ideas into how things would go. So yeah, really forming up their, their community and their town. Right. Now, do we know before the Hackley and Hume houses were built, were there houses on this site? There actually were no houses on the site. Prior to the site being built, it was just land. So there's a bird's eye map view from 1874 that kind of shows trees on the site. Um, and of course, this is kind of more of an illustration. Uh, we don't know how wooded it was or if there was just a few trees on the site, but it definitely had to be cleared for the construction of both houses in the city barn. Now, was this far out from the downtown Muskegon? Yeah, some people think it's kind of off the beaten path a little bit because we're a little bit further from the lake, but we have to kind of look at it from, you know, the 1800s viewpoint of the lake that used to be a lot closer to actually where we are. With the lake receding after the lumber era, uh, about 23%, it changed where the lake was located and how close these houses actually were to the downtown. So we are two streets off of Western Avenue where uh, the office was, for the sawmill and right towards the sawmill. So we're not very far away at all. And this is really where the prominent people in Muskegon were living. There were a lot more amenities on this street um, compared to others kind of like that, you know, sewer system and heating systems and things like that. So let's get to the actual construction of these houses. First of all, do we know who designed the plans? Who was the architect for these houses? Was it the same? Yeah. the. The architect was David Hopkins, and he was from the Grand Rapids area, and he designed houses and started putting his plans into books uh, that you could kind of pick, kind of like we can do today. You can look at a spec of a house and be like, I like this design over this design. So David Hopkins in this area was doing that, and you can still see some of his buildings and architecture work and designs in Grand Rapids area. And the interesting thing about the Hackley house is that this house seems to be more custom designed because we cannot find a blueprint or even um, a spec that looks similar to anything that uh, David Hopkins designed during this time. We do know that the Humes chose design number 33 out of David Hopkins house architecture book. So 
that one lines up very, very closely to the design of Thomas Hume's house, but Charles Hackley seems to be a little bit more custom made. So the Hackley's definitely had some input as to how this house was going to look in the end. Yeah, we believe so, but we don't have the evidence to say this is what Charles Hackley made his decision on the carvings or the woodwork or uh, the type of wood that was used or the carpeting. We don't know what that communication was between the architect and Charles Hackley. When did the official construction begin on these two houses? So the official construction started in 1887. And do we know anything about the company or the men who was working on this construction? We don't know a lot. We do know some different companies that the family used for the stained glass and some of the flooring. And through research, we found some of the tile companies that they used for the fireplaces. We do know that they used a local company called the Kelly Brothers to help design all the woodwork, which is all hand carved in the Hackley house and then all machine carved in the Hume house. And then what what style were these houses constructed in? Was it something that was pretty common for the time, or is this very unique? Yeah, they are pretty common as far as a Queen and Victorian house goes. They may be bigger or smaller than some. It just depends on uh, who you are. You might build a smaller Queen Anne home during this time if you have less wealth than Charles Hackley, but you may build larger Queen Anne homes. Uh, the Queen Anne homes are kind of unique because they typically have two parlors, like we talked about at the beginning, the first parlor and the second parlor, and typically had a downstairs bedroom. But what qualifies the Victorian Queen Anne house is the turret that each house has and wraparound porches. So there's some different qualifying marks that makes this a Queen Anne house um, over just a Victorian style architecture house. And are Queen Anne houses particularly noted for their colors? I know these two houses have lots of different colors on the exterior of them. Is that something common for Queen Anne? That is another really common thing for Queen Anne. The Hackley house has 13 different colors on the exterior and the Hume house has 14 on the exterior. So about 27 different paint colors that are just on the outside of the houses. So how long did it take to finish the construction then? The construction took two years. So they were constructing the Hackley House, the Hume House, and the City Barn throughout that two-year span. And then the families moved in in late 1889. I know from when I did research on John Torrent, there's a lot of information about the construction of his house in the local paper. Was that something true for the Hackley and Hume homes as well? It definitely was. Hackley and Humes were very popular and very famous in this area. Uh, and so everything they did was listed in the newspaper. So there were quite a bit of descriptions about what the house looked like. And that was true for their cottages and other places that they owned properties. And basically anytime they got off the train from a visit, there were reporters there asking them questions. So everybody had quite an inside look about what the Hackleys and Humes were doing here on the site. Were there any pictures of it? Do we have pictures of houses mid-construction? We do have a few of them. They're all constructed up, but windows are definitely not in yet. Um, and there's one particular uh, picture that I particularly like, and I have a picture of it in my office. And it's mostly focused on the Hackley House with a little bit of the city barn. Uh, but there are construction workers basically out of any window, doorway, porch, and they're kind of all hanging off. And it looks to be about 50 people. And that's always kind of been the rumor is that they had about 50 people working on each house at a time, that's how they were able to get them constructed in two years. Because when you come in through the Hackley House and you see all the hand carved woodwork, and thinking about doing that alone in two years seems really crazy. 
Now, when the houses were finished, who moved into these houses exactly? So in the Hackley house, Charles Hackley moved into the house with his wife, Julia, and they were sort of fostering a young orphan whose name was Charles Moore at the time, and he was six years old, and they fostered him until he was 16 and then later adopted him. And then Julia's mother, Mary Ann Moore, came and stayed about six months at a time uh, with Charles and Julia and then uh, would go to her other daughter's house. Uh, so she was here kind of part-time and then uh, would travel on. So every six months she'd be back. But she started off here uh, after the construction of the house. And then the family had one maid and one cook. And then for the Humes? In Thomas Hume's house, they have quite a big family. So in the Hume house, it was Thomas and his wife, Margaret, and they had seven children. They were all born at that time. The oldest one, Margaret, was a teenager. Um, and then Thomas kind of junior or who they called Tim, he was just a baby. He was only six months old. So it was um, Margaret, Helen, Annie Eliza, George, Florence, Constance, and Tim. And there was also uh, servants who lived in the house uh, at that time. And then in the in the city barn or the carriage house, there were also two coachmen, one for each family. And that carriage house you mentioned that was divided in half. So it's one building, but there was a Hackley side to it and a Hume side to it. Was there, was there a wall dividing it in half? Yeah, it was more like a duplex. So the wall separated it right down the middle. Each side has garage doors that go all the way through from the alley, then out to kind of like the front yard of the site or the courtyard of the site. And they both have man doors on the ends as well. So they had their own entrances, their own staircases. Uh, the coachman would stay out there on the second floor. So they each had their own side and that's where they would basically live. They'd have living space and then horses and carriages could be stored there and uh, lots of supplies for the grounds and for the horses. Now speaking of the grounds, if people go by the houses today um, and the grounds we have a kind of a grassy area, do we know what the grounds look like when the families moved in? Were there flower beds and gardens and bushes and that kind of stuff too? Yeah, we know that there were some small gardens in the back of the properties. We know that there were some trees that were in the courtyard that kind of grew throughout time and we could see those those trees later on in history. And on the Hume porch, they ended up growing a beautiful big rose bush that kind of went up an arbor. So they definitely had more plants and flowers and things like that than we do today. Now, as far as the interior of these houses now, they have been restored to kind of their original look after construction. Uh, how do we know though what they look like at that time? Well, we have lots of evidence, especially for the Hackley house, because Charles Hackley had uh, pictures taken for insurance purposes in case the house is burnt down. And so a lot of the main rooms we have black and white photographs of. We look at those really intently and blow the picture up so we can see certain spaces more. Also, uh, a paint analysis was done on the walls. And so taking off each layer of paint or wallpaper, um, some rooms had many, many layers of paint and wallpaper, others only had a few. And so that paint analysis was done in the late 80s, early 90s era, and they were able to detect what colors were used in that first paint scheme of the house and uh, what the design would look like. So we have lots of hand-stenciled paintings on the walls and ceilings. Most people assume that it's wallpaper, but it's actually hand-stenciled paint. 
So uh, taking up all those layers and being able to see what was here originally. And then we just really used those photographs to um, find furniture that would fit correctly in the time period and that would match those pictures and really just trying to find those Victorian pieces that that enhance the experience at the house. Do we have some original pieces to these houses that we know the family had from those pictures? Yeah, we do. So in the Hackley house, we don't have as many things. A lot of uh, things ended up not, you know, coming back to the site, but we have the piano, the music box, some of the paintings in the dining rooms. We do have Charles Hackley's glasses, his son's um, pocket watch. Uh, we have his cane, Charles Hackley's cane and Julia Hackley's umbrella. So a lot of little things throughout the sites. And there's a really great chair too that uh, with, is in the original pictures and it's a horn chair. It's made out of cattle. I know there's a pretty interesting story behind that chair. Can you tell us a little bit about how we actually got that chair because originally it wasn't at this site. Yeah, I mean, thank goodness for programming because it always is making us ask more questions. So we know that during the Victorian era that taxidermy was very popular. So we were trying to find more information for a kids program about taxidermy and being able to point out some different things that are in the house. And so the curator at the time ended up going through what we did know about the horn chair and found correspondence with one of Charles Hackley's granddaughters that lives in California and found her phone number in it. So this correspondence was like from 1974 or something crazy like that. And she's like, do you think I should try to call this number? And I advised her, I was like, you should try to call it. I doubt it's probably still in service. Right. <laughs> um, but she called and like on the fourth ring, Charlotte picked up. And so they kind of exchanged who they were, what we were doing, and she offered to send us a picture. And so by the end of the day, she sent us this really great picture of the horn chair, the original chair, and we were just thrilled at that point, you know. So we were able to use these really great images of the chair for our program. And about a month or a month and a half later, she had emailed back and said, I think it's time that the chair come home. And so if you can find an art shipper to ship it to you, you can have the chair. So I think that was in 2013. 13, I believe. And so we've had the chair since then, and uh, we're really happy to have that piece back. That happens very rarely, but in in the same sense, it was a really, really great especially, day. It was like Christmas the phone number morning. 30 years old. Yeah, so. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so the Hume House has a lot of the original pieces, more than the Hackley House. The family stayed in the area a lot longer and had a lot more kids. So we have a lot of the the kids' you know, couches or furniture uh, pieces like dressers and odd and end things, a lot of their books, a lot of, a lot of that family kind of more memorabilia things. So you said the Hume stayed in their house a lot longer. Do we know when the last family members were in each of these houses? Yeah, so the Hackley house, the last family member moved out in 1920, uh, and that was Erie Hackley, so that's Charles and Julia's daughter. And she moved out in 1920 and moved to California, and she rented the house to Robert Bunker, who Bunker School's named after, and then another family named the Jones family. Uh, and then in 1942, she gave the house to the American Red Cross. They were here about 25 years. And then the Hume House, they sold their house in 1952. So Constance was the last remaining family member to live in the house and she sold uh, the house to a daycare who was looking for more space. So in 1952 uh, the daycare moved in and they uh, occupied the house until about 1967, so about 19 years. 
Then, so how did the uh, Lakeshore Museum Center acquire these two houses in this site then? So after the Red Cross moved out, they moved out in 1968 and they moved to their their current location right downtown. And then the houses sat vacant for a little bit of time. And then in 1968, that's also when the daycare uh, went out of business. And so the Hume house was sitting empty and both of them were in dire need of some major work. They had really um, done a few things to the houses, but not a ton of you know, the major restoration at that point. So they sat empty and actually both houses were in danger of being torn down and so was the city barn because they were so almost dilapidated at that point. And so they were in danger of being torn down and there was a oil company who was interested in making a gas station on the corner. Uh, there was a group of local volunteers who ended up organizing and kind of rallying together and they called themselves the Hackley Heritage Association and they were successful in saving both houses and making them a historical place. So they have historical markers uh, because of their efforts. They started kind of working on the restoration. They were retired teachers or professionals and put as much as they possibly could into the houses. And they started Christmas tours, which started in 1972, but they were starting to get a little bit older and they began working with uh, the museum. In 1986, uh, they started working with John McGarry, who was newer to Muskegon and the director of the Muskegon County Museum, which is the Lakeshore Museum Center now and bought the houses for $1 each. And then that's really when the really strong um, restoration process and project really kicked off. And now uh, some of you might have heard a hammering in the background, restoration is still something that's ongoing even today, correct? Yeah, so we are still working on restoring, you know, uh, when the main restoration started, they really worked on a lot of the main rooms, but a lot of closets, porches, um, or porch doorways, um, they were not restored. So we are working on some of those things. So our preservationists and maintenance staff took a plaster class a couple years ago. And so they've been working on replastering or fixing the plaster in some of those spaces. So the Hackley pantry is being worked on right now to restore that space. And then we have some other things on the docket. Basically, we went through about five years ago and made a master plan of both houses, trying to figure out what are those final Final things and what are those little things that still need to be done so another big project is adding artwork into the Hackley house I think when they worked on the restoration of the stenciling they probably didn't want to drill holes to make a railing uh, holes yeah. <laughs> into the all of that beautiful stenciling so they didn't add any of the artwork that we can see in those original photos we are adding that slowly so we're kind of doing small fundraisers to add that artwork in and we had a nice partnership with the art museum they helped us find the appropriate artists and in a couple of cases we were able to find uh, two of the original art pieces and we hope to have those repainted and kind of as a reprint to add to the first parlor. Very neat, lots, lots of upgoing and oncoming work to these two houses. Now, all that work has been going on for one, to preserve them, correct, but for two, because the houses are open for tours, right? Yeah, so we're open for tours May through October and and in July and August, we'll actually be open for the first time every day in July and August, so seven days a week. And that is just due to how many people have been coming through. We have lots of cruise tours coming through, and we want to be as accessible to our community and to tourists as we can. 
And then you also run certain special programs at the sites here too. Yeah, we do. So we like to be able to tell our classic story. That's really the legacy of Hackley and Hume, what they left here in Muskegon, and really the reason why we're still on the map. But we also like to tell those stories that we don't have enough time to get into when we're giving those classic tours. So one of our favorite tours is the obituary tour, because um, we have so many questions of people uh, from people asking us if if somebody died in the house or if they had their funerals here and it was the Victorian era and of course they did so we have lots of stories to tell and we conveniently placed that one right by Halloween so that one's a really fun evening tour. Location, location, location. Yeah it's a little spooky Um, but we have different things you know Hackleys and Humes they were not always loved by their community they were sued actually quite a few times so we started doing a scandal program uh, that kind of talks about those lawsuits and visitors can act as jurors and hear the different lawsuits lawsuits and how they went. And then before we give the verdict of who was guilty or who was not guilty, we allow the visitors to kind of make that choice for themselves. Sounds pretty fun. And so those are programs that run every year, correct? Yeah, those have been running every year for the past few years. We started selling tickets on Eventbrite. So those are up on Eventbrite. And so the Scandal program is in August and then in October is the obituary tour. And then how else would people find out more about these sites or upcoming programs if they wanted to know more? So one of our tours is actually an all-access tour. So if you want to know a little bit more, you've been on the Hackley and Hume Classic Tour a few times and you don't think that you um, are going to learn anything new, the all-access tour is a really great way to learn more things about Hackleys and Humes because we do take you into all of those spaces that you don't normally get to see. So the porches, the closets, uh, the attics, and the basements, which have a lot of intrigue right now. And so another way you can find out is following us on Facebook. Uh, our Facebook page is Hackley and Hume Historic Site, and you can follow us there. And we're always adding extra tidbits or pictures and fun facts uh, about new new discoveries that we that we find, or just keeping up to date with different Muskegon history things. And then we're on Eventbrite as well, so that's where all of our programs are. And you can find us on our website at hackleyandhume.org. Well, thank you very much, Erin. Thank you. Mm-hmm.